Hello and welcome to Basketball with Glasses, a show by and for college basketball nerds. I'm your host, Bryson Harvey, and joining me, as always, is Luke Smith. Hey, Luke. Hey, how's it going? You excited for all these tournaments coming up this week? Yeah, I can't get enough basketball at this point. Um, yeah. My, my football teams are losing, so it's just mm. I needed some basketball in my life. And, you know, this week has really delivered. We've gotten some great games. And it's been exciting to kind of watch basketball, you know, creep back up into the forefront of the yeah. national. Attention. A lot has happened. A lot has happened since we talked last. That's for sure. There has been a lot. And I feel like I'm missing some of the biggest news off the top of my head. Um, I'm just going to I'm going to go ahead and uh, have a moment, a little tiny moment of silence for Oregon. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the, they, BYU Mark, the BYU Mark Popes just demolished them and um it hurt my feelings a little bit not gonna lie so anyway well, yeah we'll be talking about them as much <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, I think that uh they had one of the rougher weeks in terms of uh playing basketball I, if yeah. that's what you wanted to call what happened to them um yeah or what or what they attempted to do this past week it, it, it against byu it was it was a beatdown of a proportion with which I am not comfortable talking about or discussing. <laughs> yeah, it was ugly. <laughs> and and it got ugly fast. It did. So anyway, um, as we kind of segue from that, th- this past uh, weekend has, has really sort of been all about uh, Feast Week and the, the kickoff of some of these early games that uh, have kicked off this this. Uh, a lot of juicy non-conference matchups uh, with some uh, filler teams kind of thrown in there. So it's just, it's just been an interesting mix as it is every year. Um, with when some, you, when some... is... Sorry. Go when ahead. is the last time you remember seeing this many like top 10 teams playing each other in November? You know, like the, it always feels like ESPN has a couple of games, you know, that they play, a, a, you know, that tournament to start to kick off the, the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in Madison Square Garden. But really, like, that's sort of usually it. Like, usually these tournaments include, like, a, a top-tier, top-10 team. Then they have maybe a couple of middling top-25, outside-looking-in, top-40 mm-hmm. teams, and then some, you know, bottom feeders that kind of fill out the schedule. But, you know, the, the let's just start with, with the game of the, 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 the day as we're recording on Sunday. Uh, Villanova-Purdue a top 10 matchup and potentially a final four matchup. Um, I know that Nova has two early losses, but they are against Ken Palm seven and number three. Uh, so really yeah, they you can have live with played. That. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, they have, a, there was a lot of interesting back and forth in this game. Nova really looked great early and really kind of showed that, uh, basically what one would call uh, the Jay Wright sort of machine offensively. Mm-hmm. They were really clicking. Con Gillespie was playing very well early. And then they really seemed to struggle down the stretch. And, and while they had built up a lead, um, Purdue easily erased that down the stretch, um, closing strong and finishing uh, w- with the victory. Um, so just early, your thoughts on both teams uh, as coming off of this, and, and I'll sort of share sort of what I saw in the game. Sure. Villanova is really good. 
Uh, they've lost to two very good teams and very close games. Not really worried about them. Although uh, there's a concern I'll, I'll share later in the show, but um, Purdue, uh, they're going to make me say something nice about them. And uh, I don't <laughs> see, know if I'm ready to do that. I set this up for. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if I can turn these, these two positives into a negative. Um, they're peaking too early. Can I say that? <laughs> Enjoy sure. your success in November because it doesn't matter in March. No. Uh, yeah. Purdue's really good. Purdue's a really good basketball team. Um, does this game, does Purdue's win over Villanova make up for the abomination the Big, the Big Ten uh, pulled in the Gavit games against the Big East when they just got totally, absolutely demolished in basically every way? So so every year, for those of you who are, are new, and we talked a little bit about this in our, in our preview, but we generally have this distaste for Big Ten basketball. Uh, both Luke and I, we, we just sort of see them as being overrated, underachievers, chronically in the tournament, lacking the talent that their hype suggests. I think this year, Purdue is going to be the exception to the rule. Now, whether Painter can keep the, the train on the track, uh, you know, so to speak, with the Boilermakers this season, I think that's yet to be seen. But the talent is there. Uh, they have Absolutely. The, the skilled size and depth. And, and I think that's, to me, when I watch this game, if you look at the box score, according to Ken Palm, so the, the fourth quarter being the last 10 minutes of the game, Purdue outscored Villanova 37 to 23. Hmm. So in that time, they were able to, you know, mount that six point edge for victory. But really, to me, where it starts is with Jaden Ivey. He's been... Uh, among the players of the year candidates. He was a little cold today. Uh, he was only, I think, three of nine uh, from the field, um, but he contributed with seven rebounds, seven assists, and and one turnover. And, and so with that stat line, that kind of allows other players to take advantage of the possessions. And so Zach Eddy went to work today. Uh, he finished with 21 uh, and six boards. And I think I sent you a text earlier today when I was watching him. He seems like a a more coordinated, skilled, uh, active taco. Uh, yeah, who's who's white? I mean, he really does. He he kind of has a much better footwork um, than Taco did. Uh, at, well, at Taco UCF. basically stood still and let people run into him. So exactly, yeah. and Zach Eddy has kind of been more fluid. I mean, almost um, ballet like. Uh, in sort of his approach. But then, you know, coming off the bench, they have Trevion Williams, which as long as the game's not being held in McDonald's, I think he's going to be okay. <laughs> and Caleb First, who is also a 6'10 freshman who starts, I mean, they have three players in their rotation. So, for example, today, um, Trevion Williams played 20 minutes, Zach Eddy played 20 minutes, and Caleb First played 24 minutes. So they had 64 minutes of game time played by players who are 6'10 or taller. Villanova played zero people with yeah. that 6'10 or taller. And I think that over time is just going to wear some teams down. Um, but one of the one of the fascinating things here with Purdue is they have this disappearing rebounding game. So for as great and as tall as Zach Eddy is, um, in their previous game against North Carolina, their rebounding rate was only... 69%, so less than 70%. They really got out-rebounded by North Carolina, 
which uh, was a bit surprising and I think made mm-hmm. the game closer than it should have been. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, he was off, he, you know, against North Carolina, he only had uh, Zach, he being Zach Eddie only scored nine points, only had three rebounds. Um, that's not going to get it done. And so if, if that kind of disappearing act happens uh, on a semi-frequent basis uh, and Purdue's going to be in some trouble, but fortunately for them, they have the depth. So Trevion Williams came in and scored 20 points in 13 minutes with four rebounds. So again, if somebody doesn't have it, they, they have some depth that they can go to mm-hmm. on the flip side, Villanova, they've got some depth issues that I think are going to haunt them uh, as we move through the season. Uh, they, they, they have this season when, when you look at total numbers and they've played some blowout games. So it's not like they've just been including playing, Tennessee, <laughs> including Tennessee, <laughs> including Tennessee, which we will also get to later. Um, they have four players playing 74% of, of mm. minutes. And, and so when you have four player, four players playing that much, uh, you have to wonder if fatigue's a factor. Now the players were asked about that after the game today. And they kind of shrugged it off and they said, no, it's just kind of the little things that they need to clean up to make sure that they're finishing strong. But again, if you look at the UCLA game, they had a lead late in that one as well Mm -hmm. and tailed off at the end. UCLA outscoring Villanova 17 to 10 in that fourth quarter and 19 to 10 in overtime. So there seems to be an issue here. Um, Clearly, uh, Jay Wright doesn't trust his bench. Um, you know, they have Chris Archidiacono uh, as sort of that last guy on the bench that's playing any minutes, but he's really not playing that much um, at all. So they've got to be able to find some ways to get some uh, uh, production from their bench. It just hasn't happened yet. Now, will it happen later this season? Can Is that something that they can develop? I think that's something worth watching if they want to be a Final Four team. If they are kind of sticking with this seven-man rotation and that's it, that's going to be a lot on the plates of, uh, you know, Justin Moore and Colin Gillespie mm-hmm. for them to kind of keep this train moving for them uh, at, at a positive pace. So those are sort of my big takeaways. Yeah. Villanova, I was very grateful that they just beat the crap out of Tennessee. I was hoping that that would happen, and it did. Justin Moore is really good at basketball. I'm kind of wondering why he wasn't the preseason All-American, and Gillespie was at this point. But, um, but yeah, I agree yeah. with everything you said. They, they definitely have depth issues. They have they can easily be out-rebounded. That's not their thing. They don't even try to make that their thing. Um, Purdue's win over North Carolina might not have been as, you know – impressive because North Carolina isn't really that good, at least not right now, but that there's no taking away that beating Villanova with that size, you know, um, it's interesting about the rebounding. You would hope that they could use that to their advantage because they do have the size that a lot of teams don't. And, um, you know, I guess we'll just see how it goes, but at least as far as the beginning of the season, Purdue's definitely one of the, I mean, top three teams in the country. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think so. Um, and there were some other feast week games that got off to a uh, that kind of kicked everything off for this upcoming week um, in the Jersey Mike's Classic. You know, a mm. a staple, uh, you know, a tradition unlike any other. Uh, yes, Weber absolutely. State. Mike. We yes, <laughs> Weber State uh, actually won the whole thing, um, coming from the Big Sky, uh, and and really that 
that team is interesting to me. Uh, they are uh, the best team in the Big Sky Conference. The Big Sky overall is ranked 21 in Kempom uh, by adjusted EM, uh, 21 out of 32 conferences. So they're definitely a lower lower tier. They're kind of that bottom rung of the what we would call the mid-majors, I, I think. Um, they're sort of in that same realm as the Horizon League. Um, sure. And they're kind of grouped all together there. So they're in that sort of upper-ish tier. They definitely, I don't think, are going to get an at-large bid. But I do think that they have an interesting squad that could be somebody to watch as we start getting into some play. Now, looking at their schedule ahead, um, they have Washington State that they that they play uh, coming up in December. They also get a crack at, at Mark Pope's BYU squad. Mm. Um, and that one is actually listed as a home game for them. So that will be an interesting you know, opportunity mm-hmm. for them. So they've got a couple of spots where, hey, maybe they can start showing off that we can do this against better talent. Um, they, they were able to beat UMass, which was kind of the big win. They beat UMass by um, 15 points on a neutral site. And then basically they had a clear path to the victory in the Jersey Mike's Classic, beating Ball State and Green Bay. But um, they've got some interesting players. Uh, probably their best is senior guard Kobe McEwen, uh, who is shooting the ball really, really well. Uh, he's able to draw fouls at a pretty high rate. And Jamison Overton, uh, who is also a senior, 6'6", and really able to kind of fill it up. He is among the league or the nation leading uh, in effective field goal percentage and true shooting percentage at about 75%. Uh, really able to kind of take advantage of uh, getting into the paint and, and making some and finishing at the basket. So just, you know, they're not going to be contenders for, for a national championship, but could they knock somebody off? Could they make some noise in March? I think that's something to look out for. Is it just me or does the Jersey Mike's classic sound like a sandwich you would order at Jersey Mike's? It does. I think it's actually the Jersey Mike's Jamaican classic. I could be okay. wrong. I'm, I'm sure they play. They Jamaica. should call it. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought you were talking <laughs> about the name of the sandwich. <laughs> I was like, what's in a Jamaican <laughs> classic sandwich? I'm sorry. That's all I have to add to that conversation. <laughs> well, if you look at ESPN and their box scores, they call it the Jersey Mike's classic. But I think the full title is Jersey Mike's Jamaican okay. classic. They should but, make a sandwich yeah. to go along with it. That's my opinion. They, they should. They should. Absolutely. And then maybe get uh Dame Lillard to come sponsor it. Yes, absolutely. In honor of. Uh, all right. And a couple of other tournaments that have happened or are happening. The Myrtle Beach Invitational has come and gone. I think by far the the, the team that was supposed to win it uh, was, was Oklahoma. And they did make the finals, but they did not win it. Uh, that honor went to the, the Utah State Aggies. Uh, they uh, edged out Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma pretty much was in control of of the game throughout. Uh, Utah State got off to a pretty good start in the game, uh, but really Oklahoma kind of dominated those middle the middle half of the game. Then as they closed, Utah State just went on a run. I, I believe it was twelve to two run, and that ended it. Justin Bean was a really, really, I mean, he impressed me uh, with his ability. He's a six, seven senior for Utah state. 
um, has the ability to kind of uh, go get rebounds, uh, sort of that versatile wing. But um, maybe the bigger thing for him this season has been his ability to just score at a very, very efficient clip. He is, is also has a true shooting percentage north of 75%. Um, and, and if Utah State wants to do anything this season, they're going to need that play to continue as they start heading into Mountain West uh, uh, schedule. Uh, you've got San Diego State in that conference, Boise State, Colorado State, uh, sort of lingering above them in terms of Ken Palm. But I think Utah State showed some something today uh, in their victory over Oklahoma. Now, for me, Oklahoma, they they have some issues where they just run hot and cold. You've got um, a team that can look super efficient and just be a, a well-oiled machine, and they were for parts, but then – it feels like something breaks and their offense just shuts down or the, the defense over commits on, on something, you know, if they're looking to curl off of a screen and the defense overplays, it's like their brain breaks at certain points and they just forget how to pass or how to, how to make the right play. And, and that really bit them down the stretch today. Uh, so yeah. Luke, any, yeah. any thoughts on either team? Yeah, so Utah State, you know, I liked them in the tournament last year. They had uh, Quita. They had the big man Quita back then, and they, they went against uh, Texas Tech. And I, I th- actually thought they were going to win that game. They had the eighth-ranked defense in the country last year, according to Ken Palm. Um, this year, it's 78. I mean, obviously, if you lose a seven-footer in the middle, um, it's going to affect your your defense. But also, Ken Palm numbers right now, you know, they might be a lot different as we go on, but – um, it's good to see that they're still good. They're still competitive. Oklahoma has my favorite brothers who play on the same team. You got the Groves <laughs> brothers. I think um, they're America's favorite brothers. I think they are. I mean, they should be if they're not. I, and I'm, I've been interested in Oklahoma. I've been interested in how they're going to do this entire offseason just because they have the transfers. They have the Grove brothers. They have jo- Jordan Goldwire from Duke. They have Porter Moser from Loyola Chicago and proven final four coach. Um, so, you know, it's nice to see things kind of, I mean, I guess early season, it's hard to tell. They got beat by Utah state, but I mean, they could, they could be, um, tough to handle when it gets to conference, uh, season time. So it'll be interesting to see. They could be a tournament team. They probably should be a tournament team, I would think. Mm -hmm. But, um, like an eight, nine seed range, but we'll see. I mean, they have a lot of room for improvement. They're, they're new. Everything about them is new. So. Sure. And, and actually I should, I should point out as well, uh, noted, uh, a giant killer, Ryan Odom, the former head coach at UMBC is the new head coach at Utah state this season. So, uh, so if you're wondering kind of what they're going with, um, he kind of brings more of that offense. If you remember UMBC, they were kind of scatter, you know, everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, spread the floor, drive, kick, and and that's sort of the offense. And they've been really efficient so far. You know, all the numbers are kind of trending positive. Uh, you know, disappointing start to the year where they lost to UC Davis at home. Um, yeah. But but they've kind of bounced back. They've beaten some really good teams. They've beaten Richmond. They've beaten a Penn team that's probably going to win the Ivy. Uh, New Mexico State and now Oklahoma. So they have made a run here. They've looked better. 
Um, their Ken Palm ranking is up to 68th right now, and they started the season at 94. So they are a positive trending team. And I, I think Ryan Odom's a pretty good coach. With the talent yeah. they have there, they have a shot. Um, and the last game that we're going to touch on here really quick is uh, the Charleston Classic, which I believe is still happening yeah, I think as it's we happening speak. Right now. Um, and I, both Let me teams... say something about Marquette go, real quick. Go ahead. Okay. Right. I'll, so, I'll see the floor. Okay, thank you. Marquette, you probably know more about them since they played West Virginia recently. They've, they're 5-0. and They've beaten Illinois. They've beaten Mississippi. They've beaten West Virginia. They've beaten two other teams that nobody cares about. Um, five and zero, oh, Shaka Smart. They're there. I went to Ken Palm. I'm like, I wonder what's going on with their Ken Palm numbers. Seventy fourth in Ken Palm, seventy fourth. <laughs> now this makes me wonder: Is this like Missouri last year? You remember how Missouri was like top twenty five all throughout the season? I think they even made it to like top ten at some point. And I don't mm-hmm. think they ever cracked the top fifty in Ken Palm last year. I might be wrong, but they were definitely low. They were nowhere near the top 20 in Ken Palm the entire season. And I think they lost in the first round of the tournament. So is Marquette underrated by efficiency standards? Or is it just not showing up in some way? Or, you know, are they just super getting lucky and winning close games and it's all going to fall off a cliff? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned luck. So if you look at their luck ranking rating, they are on the positive side of luck um, with a, a five hundredths uh, or five tenths of a, a point on that 112th on the season. Um, but really to me, I mean, it's Shaka bringing back the havoc. Uh, the average possession length offensively is 13.7 seconds. Um, which is blazing fast. The, the <laughs> second, second in highest. the country. <laughs> yes. I mean, they just go up and down, up and down, up and down. It's like Steve Nash <laughs> running point out there for them. Exactly. Uh, and and I think, you know, t- they struggle at getting the rebounds on the boards. So if you're able to rebound, that has been, you know, a sticking point for them. But, you know, watching them play West Virginia – it was just this constant barrage of, you know, hey, we're just going to keep scrapping and staying with it, which is kind of Shaka Smart's MO. You know, we're going to keep playing. We're going to play hard. We're going to get in your face. We're going to make you uncomfortable. And West Virginia really struggled with that. Uh, they, you know, there are times where West Virginia looked really good. That West Virginia is reminding me a lot of Oklahoma this season in a very similar way of like they run hot and they run cold. And if they're playing well, they look unstoppable. And if they're off, it looks like they're are a, they're a JV high school team mm-hmm. just because of the turnovers and, and just a poor shot selection. Um, so, and, and, and West Virginia's biggest issue is they just miss layups. I think they were two of 10 or two of nine in the, on layups in the second half oh, uh, no against good. Marquette. And that is what killed them. Uh, so, you know, is Marquette for real? Are they not? I think Tom's gonna kind of uh, going to Tom shake might this be one telling out. right now. Tom might be telling <laughs> right now. I checked the score. Yes. Bonaventure forty-five, Marquette twenty-seven. Fifteen to go in yes. the second half. Yes. So I, I, you know, and and actually, when Bob Huggins was interviewed uh, after the game uh, with his radio crew, he's like, you know, we have a tough one tomorrow. He's like, and I would say that by tomorrow, meaning today. Uh, it's like, you know, Clemson 
is a way better team than than the team we just played. So mm-hmm. it was like for my team, they need to get ready to play. Now again, they came out and won today, and they beat what Ken Palm also agrees with is a better team. Uh, I believe. Let me double check. Clemson is forty eighth in Ken Palm, and if I'm checking this correctly, they were forty fifth before they played West Virginia. So uh, yeah, they were thirty spots better yeah. than Marquette. So um, and, and 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 Clemson is good. I think Clemson is going to be good this season. Um, they had two tough games against St. Bonaventure and West Virginia, uh, but you know they beat Wofford pretty handily earlier. Um, they've beaten Temple by almost thirty on a neutral floor. So I think Clemson is going is is actually the better team. And I think uh, I saw there was a journalist, Mike Azaza, uh, tweeted you know on a, on a cold. February after a win and West Virginia uh, is 19 and eight, uh, you know, Bob Huggins is going to say, and you know, we should have won (laughs) the Charleston classic. Um, But now with that being said, that's not right off St. Bonaventure. Now, right now they are absolutely blowing the doors of Marquette, but you know, they've beaten a really good Boise state team. Um, but the schedule sets up well. So they have two games against top 50 Ken Palm teams as of this moment left on their schedule. They are back-to-back on neutral sites, uh, UConn uh, and Virginia Tech, 21st and 23rd in Ken Palm. Can St. Bonaventure run the table? Mm. Uh, the Atlantic 10, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to say, no. I mean, obviously the safe bet would be to say no. I feel like somebody will get them in conference play. George Mason's good. You know, they, mm-hmm. they beat, they beat Maryland. Um, yeah, it's true. Yeah. I, I mean, they could, they could, they're probably favored in every game except those two you mentioned. So yes, they are. They are. Their projected record in Ken Palm is 20, 24 and six, but they are the only games that they are, predicted to lose so i don't know it's going to be interesting they're led by a, a really good backcourt and kyle lofton and jaron holmes they are playing uh kyle lofton is second in the country in percentage of minutes played and 98.8 percent of minutes played so far this season um mm-hmm. so yeah Vin- villanova had depth issues but villanova is a powerhouse they should have more recruits uh than saint bonaventure but the between Lofton and Holmes, they play about 94 plus percent of the minutes together. And I think they can kind of keep this going, but they're really senior late. They start, they start five seniors. They have some height inside. Uh, I think they're going to be difficult to deal with for the A-10. And, you know, if they are, let's just say they finish the season uh, 30 and or 29 and one. And then they run through the A10. Where where would you seed them? Where would you seed a team like yeah. this? Well, yeah. I mean, okay. Here's a question for you: Who's more likely to run the table, Saint Bonaventure or Gonzaga? Gonzaga's Ooh. got they've got UCLA coming up. They've got Duke. They've got Alabama. They've got Texas Tech. They've got BYU twice. Uh, Saint Mary's. Yeah, I got I got the Bonnies. I got the Bonnies. I think they would be more likely to run the table. And if they do, uh, you know, I try to think back to years past where we had, you know, old school 
um, you know, Gonzaga squads, Wichita State even. Uh, you know, Wichita State, they went uh, 35-1, and one, and they were a one seed. But they were mm-hmm. kind of a known quantity in 2014. I think maybe the better comp might be somebody like a Stephen F. Austin. They went 32-3, and three, and they got a 12 seed. So I think Bonnies have better um, – or even – how about this squad? Murray State coming out of the OVC – they were 31-2 yeah. in 2012, mm-hmm. um, and I believe that was the year of Isaiah Cannon. Uh, and so they were a sixth seed out of the OVC. So um, I think the bodies could get a four seed. I think they could get maybe even they could. a three seed. But 14, you know. 15 years ago, George Washington, uh, they might have been in the Colonial then. I don't remember. They were 26-2 and two, an eight seed. Yeah. Um, and that, that was a different time. That was a different time. Yeah. Were they in the A ten? Yeah. So they were in the A ten. So you know, if they beat Connecticut and Connecticut is good all year, if they beat Virginia Tech. I mean, beating Marquette, they'll probably wind up being a good win. If they run the table right. up, you could see a top four seed for sure. I mean, you could argue that they may deserve better. You know, depending on the records of other people. But right, and I think George Washington too. The other thing with them. Uh, they were 43rd in Kempom. And I think now, especially 2006 versus 2022, we look at the numbers a little bit closer, and I think that's going to make it make the difference. Um, and so if, if the Bonnies are ranked anywhere near the top 30, which they currently are, I think that they will get the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to end up with a top four seed if they can run the table, because that'll keep them sort of in that top 30 um, sphere. Sure. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, uh, I, I think that we have spent the last half hour talking about some really good teams, some really good games, but it's time to move on to our next segment, magnifying glass this week. Luke, You've got a fun game for us. Oh, I'm Final so excited four or about bust. this. Yes. Uh, we had, the, out of the six people that listen to this podcast, all, all of them were a big fan of uh, Chet, Chet or Bust. So we're bringing back a similar game. So in this game, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to give Bryson uh, some numbers from a team from NCAA tournaments past. I'm going to give him their adjusted offense and their adjusted defense. And he is going to let me know whether they were a Final Four team or a bust. And that means they lost, they got upset. So it could mean, in most cases, it would mean they lost uh, before the second weekend of the tournament. So is that clear, Bryson? Do you understand? I think I got it. I think I got it. Okay, we'll give a, we'll give a test one here and uh, right. we'll, we'll see how it goes. Okay, this team. Uh, well, let me let me explain further. What I'm looking for here are teams that have extreme differences in their adjusted O and adjusted D. So we're looking for teams who have either like an elite offense and a sketchy defense or an elite defense and a sketchy offense. Okay, so it'll be extremes as far as the numbers go. So this one's a little recent. Um, Adjusted O of 7th in the country, adjusted D, 59th. Ooh. I would say that defense matters less, uh, that you can try to 
find some stops uh, along the way, but I'm I'm going to go bust. I'm going to go bust on this one. You would be correct. This was 2018 Xavier, one seed, 2018 Xavier, seventh and adjusted O, 59th and adjusted D. They were a one what seed was in our, the tournament. What they was lost to a Ken nine Pond? seed. Uh, I don't remember. It was high, I, I believe. Um, these are That's all pre-tournament. These are all pre-tournament numbers, by the way. This is taken from the data okay. before the tournament was played. Um, Man, so you had to dig through some Excel sheets to find this this data. All right, I really did. <laughs> yeah, they were. Fi- they finished fifteenth in Ken Palm, if that okay. makes a difference. Okay, so uh, that was a bust. You got that one. Let's try a different one. Let's try. Um. Sixth in adjusted O, 71st in adjusted D. <laughs> now, this one you have uh, to go back a little bit. Okay. Man. Uh, well, again, I think 71st in defense is pretty terrible um, for, for a tournament team. So I'm going to say that this two is a bust. And if you give me the year, let me try to guess the team. 2012. 2012. Oh, man. Uh, they were a bust. They were a bust. Okay. Uh, it, gosh, who was terrible on defense? I, I don't even have an idea of who would be that bad. Um, his co- his de- father is the coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. He was on this team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we got, we got a Duke. We got a 2012 Duke, Duke. losing oh, to – who did they lose to? They lost to C.J. McCollum that year, didn't they? Lehigh? Yes, they did. Lehigh. Yes. That was the Lehigh year. And their fellow um, 15 or one, two seed that lost in the first round that year was Missouri, who was first in adjusted O and 80th in adjusted D. Whew. That is, that is some rough mm. stuff right there. Yeah. Okay. Let's go. I'm, I'm going to try to flip this. I'm going to flip it on you this time. Um, this team had the 79th rated offense and the second rated defense. Um, 79th offense, man. Yeah. They were a two I mean, seed. <laughs> Final four or bust. Oh, man. Uh, did they get hot? I mean, because all you need is a player to get hot. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say that they were a Final Four team. Oh. This team, <laughs> you remember, they got demolished by dunk city this is 2013 georgetown Otto porter Otto porter the last hurrah of jt3 (laughs) oh yeah they they were a bust 2013 2013 2013 andy enfield and florida gulf coast dominated yeah dominated georgetown that year and went on to sweet 16 yeah okay boy i'm gonna try i'm gonna try to find one that isn't well, these are all pretty drastic in, in a difference, but okay, this, this one will be a fun one. Second in offense, 66 defense. Second in offense and 66th in defense? Yes, this was the same <laughs> tournament as Georgetown when Georgetown was a bust. I probably picked Georgetown to make the Final Four that year, by the way. Yeah, well. I always pick Georgetown. I mean, I'm an idiot. Yeah, right. Well, that, that just kind of happens sometimes. Um Man, I, I I don't know if it's a team. Are they a, a major team? Yes. 
Uh, I, I'm going to go with a, a Final Four team just because there's got to be one of these that goes to the Final Four. You got it. All right. Mich- 2013, honest- 2013 Michigan. Michigan made really? the t- made the title game. Almost won the tur- the whole thing. Against now was Louisville. that Beeman's well, I- first year? Oh no, he had been there a while, but that was his first Final Four, I think. Okay, okay, that was the um, first in the Final Four runs. Okay, yeah, because the next year they got upset by Kentucky in the Elite Eight. Okay, um, but yeah, that was, was the that- year that Trey Burke, yeah, National Player of the Trey Year, Burke. that three from a million miles away to beat Kansas. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were a they were a four seed. So, okay. see that just that blows my mind. I guess they lost a lot in the Big Ten, and so their record kind of pushed their seed down, even though they were talented. Well, you know what's interesting, um, having these discrepancies is usually a bad thing if you're a top two or three seed. But the lower seed or the higher seed number you get, it actually becomes a positive. So I'm, I'm going to give you a couple more because this is fun. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> this one's near and dear to your heart. First in adjusted, off- adjusted offense, 90th in adjusted defense. Man. This was a long time ago. Uh, 90th in defense? Mm-hmm. It can't be the the 2010 West Virginia team. No, it's a, it's before that. Oh man! Oh, so this has to be a beeline West Virginia team. Oh, it's not a West Virginia team, but it's West Virginia adjacent. <laughs> Fair enough. Has to do with uh, West Virginia, but they're not uh, the team. Has to do with West Virginia. Uh, well, I'll, I'm going to say that they are a Final Four team. This was. 2005 Wake Forest. Oh, Chris Paul. Yeah. Second round. I think they got beat. Who who was it that beat them in the second round? Uh, they got pit snoggled for sure. They got sure. pit snoggled in the second round. Number one defense, number one offense, excuse me, in the country. Chris Paul couldn't make it to the Sweet 16. Yeah. Now look at him. He, he, yeah. can, he can barely make it to the NBA Finals. Um, so what I remember about that game, having watched it a lot, and, and then again on YouTube <laughs> a lot, uh, and I had it taped and wore out the VHS, uh, that team really had a lot of athletes. Um, Downey hit, I don't know how many miracle threes to keep them in it. Uh, but I just remember like Chris Paul yelling at his teammates acting like he was in charge. Skip Prosser was just kind of like, well, I'll just stand over here, Chris, while you run everything. Yeah, that's probably how uh, it actually was. Um, and I do remember seeing that. And I just remember the, like, Wake was getting back cut on every single play. Like, West Virginia ran the Princeton offense and just back cut them to death. Uh, it, it really was, I mean, it was a lot of pick and pop and, and slip the screen and, and, you know, what Beeline is mm-hmm. known for. And that was um, double OT, wasn't it? It was. And I think Gansey hit a few big threes. Gansey was Air awesome. Bear. Yeah. He was one I mean, of my favorite was, non-UK players. Yeah, it, it was pretty fun. He, he did play for St. Bonaventure. Uh, and then they had a huge scandal blow up and then he left. And, and that's how he ended up at West Virginia um, with Beeline. But, no, I, 
that team was really efficient when Chris Paul got to cook, but Skip Prosser kind of throughout the course of the game would kind of let other people take turns. And I know mm-hmm. that I, I'm sure that that drove Chris Paul crazy. I'm sure it did. <laughs> well, I, I've got a few. I've got. Let's do a couple more. All right. Okay. All right. Fifty uh, seventh in offense, twelfth in defense. Final four team or bust? Uh, I'm gonna say bust. Oh, uh, they should have been. Twenty fourteen <laughs> UConn. Twenty fourteen uh, UConn. No way. They won the no title. Way. Because oh. they had a player get hot. So again, I yeah. think that kind of validates the idea that you can be um, a mediocre offensive team if you have somebody on your team who is capable of high-level performances, which is why I have not given up hope for West Virginia. I think Taz mm-hmm. Sherman and Sean McNeil can either both get hot and they could ride that hot hand even if the rest of their offense is mediocre. My issue with them so far this year has been defense. Okay. How about this elite one? defensively. All right. How about go. this one? 149th offense, 149 <laughs> offense, third in defense. Ken Pond well, numbers pre- sh- before this before the tournament. This one. I sure, is, hope they have a hot. Go ahead. This one was a little more recent, last five years. Okay, uh, I I still think that you, you could have a player get hot, so I'll go Final Four even with that low of a Ken Pond. Final Four, 2017 South Carolina. No way. They were awful on offense. Awful. So bad. So that bad. Was... They went through They went through Jason Tatum. They went through Baylor. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh, my gosh. What year was that? 2017. They lost to uh, Gonzaga. Was it Gonzaga or North Carolina in the Final Four? I think it was Gonzaga. I think they barely lost to Gonzaga in the in the Final Four that year. Yeah, that's right. They they lost 77-73. Um, they had Cinderius Thornwell that year, the SEC player of the year. He was quite the player. Well, they had three guys between Thornwell, Dozier, and Silva. I mean, they had some dudes on that team. And mm-hmm. and if there's any one coach who is the most similar to Bob, Bob Huggins, and he's friends with him, so it makes sense. It's Frank mm-hmm. Martin. And, and boy, he just has his dudes play like dogs. Um, when I look at their efficiency numbers, it really was because they turned people over. I mean, if, if the other team is going to hand you the ball every fourth yeah. possession, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I mean, you, you better be able to do something with it. And the other thing was they got extra possessions because they were great at offensive rebounding. Uh, so they were 41st mm-hmm. in the country there. So, you know, between those two things, that kind of helps them. Uh, take knock off some of these really good teams. I mean, they beat Baylor in the tourney by twenty. <laughs> That's it's crazy, unbelievable, unbelievable. Okay, I've got one more good one for you. All right, all right, last one, last one. Okay, ninth in adjusted O, eighty seventh adjusted D. You have to go a little a little back for this one. Mm. Well, I think time has proven that it defense is what matters. Uh, so I'm going to say they're a bust. They were a bust, and it was Rick Barnes's fault. And he had Kevin Garnett. <laughs> he, I mean, not Kevin, oh, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, and couldn't get past the second round. Well, 07 Texas. He, he had he had Kevin Durant and he had DJ Augustine. Augustine. I mean, if you got oh, those two gosh. guys, how? I mean, that's just a crime against college basketball. Um, 
Yeah. I, I mean, they had the talent to beat uh, Florida that year. Yeah. Just, they definitely just, did. I mean, they had the best player, one of the top ten players of all time, on their team. So, I mean, they could have, they should have beaten anybody. The, the one of the only, uh, the one exception as far as the better offense and the and the lackluster D was two thousand three Marquette when Dwayne Wade <laughs> dragged Tom Crean to the Final Four through Kentucky's best team in like ten six years or something. I had a triple double. So if you, unless you have one of the greatest players of all time on your team, then uh, then maybe that doesn't work out great. Yeah, I mean that would be a good recipe for any team. Uh, I mean, I unless think, you're coached by Rick Barnes, unless you're coached by Rick Barnes, which is a clearly just part of it. I'm trying to remember which year was was Kimba's year. Was that 2008, 2009, 2011? That was 2011. Oh, that's right. That was 11. Yeah. Um, and you know they were kind of balanced. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's the same sort of principle of if you have a great player that's on a hot streak, it just kind of helps you get there. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it's really interesting. If you're a two seed and you, and if you see a two seed in the tournament and they're uh, adjusted O and adjusted D or that far away, just pick, (laughs) pick somebody to beat them before the weekend's up. I mean, it almost all, it happens a lot. So, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't, uh, this might have been an upset, but that year you had Notre Dame uh, in 2011, third in yep. adjusted offense, 66 in adjusted. 60, 66. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was what it ended up being, I guess. So, okay. Uh, and they, yeah, that was, that's pretty, that's Florida pretty State rough. got them. Yeah. yeah. It happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Happened yeah, to that's... Ohio State last year. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right. Well, I think this is a pretty good segue into our colored glasses segment where we, we take a look at uh, the teams that we think are a smidge overrated or underrated. Uh, But this week we're looking at two vastly overrated teams. According to us, Uh, again, we are not the gospel on, on these teams, but I do tend to think that they are uh, among the more overrated teams and that is the, the runner-up game, the consolation game, in the Hall of Fame tip-off, Tennessee and North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Now, Ken Palm agrees with us on, on one count, uh, but disagrees with us on another count. Luke, what are your thoughts, generally speaking, about generally Tennessee speaking, and North Carolina? Generally speaking, I was raised to despise Tennessee. So I am not the most... <laughs> Um, objective, but when I'm, when I am being objective, I just, I don't think they're as good as their rating. I think they were overrated preseason on Kim Palm. And I think that's, what's keeping them up there so far. I mean, they're good. They're you're your typical Rick Barnes team. They have a really good defense. They have a mediocre offense. They're going to underperform. They're going to lose games. They shouldn't lose. They're going to win games that you're like, how did that happen? And then in March, they're going to lose before the sweet 16. That's my opinion. It's a tried and true Rick Barnes formula. Um, he did it at Texas. He made it to the lead eight a couple times. TJ Ford dragged him to the uh, final four once, but I just don't think, I think this is just a typical Tennessee year. Um, North Carolina, they're just bad. They're just not very good yet. I don't know if they're going to get good at all, but they're just, they're not very good. I mean, I don't know why they're ranked. They shouldn't be ranked. They're ranked because they of North be. Carolina. So yes, the definition of this, of this whole, the whole reason why we created this segment 
uh, of color glasses was we think, I mean, we, I think we generally both think that the media kind of put on some uh, North Carolina colored glasses and that's just the lens that they see Duke, North Carolina, all of those teams. Um, if you're a big yep. name, if you're a big brand, it just matters more. There's more eyeballs. So they give you the benefit of the doubt. Um, but, you know, they got a new coach. Uh, and with Tennessee, I mean, it's just the Rick Barnes effect, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I looked at the box score when they played Villanova and got trounced to just try yeah. to see sort of like what happened here, you know. Um, basically – it's it's hilarious because Villanova's minimum win probability happened when it was tied 0-0 with 20 minutes left in the first half. Basically, when the game started, <laughs> that was their minimum, and it just it was over uh, from there. Uh, yep. But Santiago uh, Viscovi uh, was basically their offense, 23 points, mm-hmm. 4 of 12 from 3. He got to the line five times. But to me, the issue that, that they had really was that they turned the ball over they were giving it basically once every four possessions to Villanova. Um, and just they they lacked some ability to, to shoot the three at all um, beyond Viscovi. So they the rest of the team combined to go one of 16 from three. Uh which again is sort of very classic Rick Barnes, where That's he's exa- got very you streaky said shooters. The exact same thing last year. Could have said the <laughs> exact same thing last year. A hundred percent. And so, you know, and this is when you kind of elevate the, the the play. Now, again, I know Villanova is really good and they're very talented, um, but you know, to get turned over eighteen times uh, and to shoot so poorly. That's just the that's the recipe for losing and and getting blown out against good teams and you're probably going to lose against most teams if you do that. Mm-hmm. Now today against North Carolina, um, they won by 17 because they played a vastly overrated. They they are not the 18th best team in the country. They're not even top 50 according to Ken Palm at this point. Uh, North Carolina, I I just to me don't see it. They don't turn people over. They give up. Uh, Basically, if you're running any kind of offense, you're going to get a good shot. Um, if you look at their results earlier this year, they, they beat Brown by seven. And they oh my beat gosh. Charleston by 11. That was a pretty close game, most of it, though. Yes, like that, it was. That was, that was they were, Charleston was in it the, pretty much that entire game. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're playing like, to me... North Carolina is playing like a more like a 75th best team in Ken Palm. I think they just kind of, you know, carry over from last year uh, where they were mm-hmm. okay. Um, but to me, the big, the big numbers that stick out uh, turnover percentage defensively, they don't turn anybody over. So they don't get any extra possessions that way. And they're terrible at offensive rebounding. They're 252nd in the country in offensive rebound rate. So if you aren't generating extra possessions through turnovers and you aren't generating extra possessions through offensive rebounds, then the only way that you're going to stay in games or even compete is the fact that they are shooting 56% in effective field goal percentage. I, I do not buy this team. I don't think they're that great. They haven't figured out their identity. You know, the the senior that's leading their team is a, is a transfer in Brady Manick, whom 
I have this love hate relationship with, um, with his bird stash and the fact that he played for Oklahoma, um, you know, and he's kind of developed, I think full beard. Uh, is that where mm. we're going with it? I, I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. Um, but they just, you know, Caleb love is kind of their go-to player, but he, you know, and he's been okay, but you know, he's not the kind of player that I would just say, here's the car keys, man, go get it. Uh, yeah. They don't really have so that guy. They don't, which is kind of weird for North Carolina to not have that guy. Um, but again it's kind of if you look at it you can tell just based on their percentage of their usage rate um for their players nobody is really high i mean caleb love is a 24.2 percent the lowest guy on this list that gets significant minutes is kerwin walton who gets 13 percent of the possessions but everyone's kind of in that 24 to 20 percent of usage rate so everyone basically gets a touch and if you don't have a go-to person, you know, it's just yeah. a matter of like trying to figure out how they want to score. Well, and also this is, I mean, Roy Williams recruited and played a high offensive rebounding. You know, he always, they, they were his best teams uh, rebounded on the glass. They, they crashed the boards like crazy. They were never like an elite shooting team. They were just, they would get extra possessions like that. This team's shooting 40% from three right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are, they have an offensive rebound percentage of 25, which is very low, especially for a, for a, a North Carolina team. If that shooting percentage goes down, I mean, what, if they weren't shooting 40% from three, but they have beaten those two terrible teams at the beginning of the year. I mean, uh, if that, if that number drops to the norm, if it evens out a little bit, then I don't know. I don't know how they're going to get offense. I don't, I don't know what they're, how they're going to score. Yeah, so this team brought back this team brought back about fifty nine percent of their minutes from last year, so a little bit more than half. Mm-hmm. And that that is the same team that got destroyed by Wisconsin as an eight seed uh, in the first round by mm-hmm. twenty three points. So that's what came back. They added Brady Manick, who to me hasn't looked comfortable yet um, in his time on the floor with, with the Tar Heels. So we'll see again, like to your point, they could develop, they've got some pieces. If, if Caleb Love can kind of figure out how to be the go-to guy and be the spot, you know, the spotlight offensive player for them and score it at a relatively efficient clip, I think that's, that's, that could be, uh, you know, I think there could be a one-two punch with Bray Manic, Caleb Love. They can kind of run that, you know, two-man game. I, I, I mean, I, they they have the pieces to be effective. They have not been mm-hmm. effective so far, and I don't know if Hubert Davis is going to be able to do it um, as a coach. Uh, you know, he's been an analyst for forever, so it'll be interesting to see if that's sort of the yeah. route that they go. He might just have to. He might play different than Roy. You know, he might he might have his teams play different than Roy. And if that's the case, he's probably going to have to get his own players in there before they can really play the way he wants them to play. All right. So so the question comes down to who who are Tennessee and North Carolina? Um, moving looking forward, Luke, who do you think is going to have the most successful season from this point forward? Oh, Tennessee will have a more successful season. I mean that. 
I think that Tennessee and that I will be calling them overrated all year because they're going to be good enough to to win games um and remain in like that top 20 which I I think they're probably like a top 20 to 25 team but any higher than that it's just crazy and people having them as as final four dark horses like I I just don't I don't see that happening they're just they're not good enough offensively um and they just won't be. I mean, that's not Rick Barnes's thing. And they're going to turn the ball over a bunch. And they're not going to light it up from three. I mean, who's going to light it up from three on that roster? So, I mean, Viscovi can, but consistently. You know, Justin Powell, they brought him in to be that guy. Um, I don't even know how. I, I don't I don't think he's making any ridiculous impact, you know. If you're you, – he always has these – kind of bouncy bigs that rebound, get crash the glass and stuff, but they're never very offensively skilled. So I don't know. I just, I think they'll be fine. They'll be decent. It'll be a lot mm-hmm. like last year. I think, I think it'll just be a lot like last year. Yeah. I, I mean, that's kind of the way it's trending. Although I have the hot take right now. Uh, so, you know, I guess we'll gear this up for, for social. Uh, I think North Carolina is going to have a more successful season in oh. terms of conference play and in terms of tournament appearance. Um, so I think that the talent is there at North Carolina. I see it. Um, it is in disarray. It's in shambles. It is definitely a fixer upper. Now uh-huh. I- I'm putting a lot of faith in here Davis to kind of put this together, but Tennessee, I, I just don't know. I think they're going to beat the teams that they should beat, and but they're not going to beat anybody who is even kind of ne- in near their supposed neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I so glad they, that my Tennessee hate is rubbed off on you. I'm so <laughs> glad. It makes me so happy. I think, I think they're a good bad team. You know, I, uh, that makes sense. I, I think Bill Simmons kind of coined this as like, who is the good bad team? Who is the the best team of the bad teams that just kind of beats all the other bad teams, but they can't beat anybody good. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I I kind of see Tennessee as being that now, that being said, I I think that uh, North Carolina is more of the really low floor, but really Mm -hmm. high ceiling. They have a ceiling that I think they could get to. Um, I try to look back through through Ken Palm history uh, to try to see sort of a team that kind of, to me, looked like a squad that could be comparable um, just in terms of who they are and, and what they're trying to do um, that kind of has that kind of low floor high Mm -hmm. ceiling um and i was kind of struggling to try to find a squad that i felt like um kind of built that up um because really to me it 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 kind of goes to stylistically very different but it really feels like one of those west press virginia teams Mm. um no stylistically very different but um, you know, if if the press wasn't working and if West Virginia couldn't get everything moving in the right direction, 
um, on some of those early press Virginia teams, they were terrible. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, they, I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't stop cold um, against some of the worst teams in, in big 12 play. I mean, in 2017, they lost to, to Oklahoma um, in 2018, you know, that, that team struggled a lot. They lost to Iowa state on the road. Uh, they were 103rd in Ken bomb. They lost. Um, but yet they, at that season, they beat number two ranked Virginia. So, I mean, they had a very mm-hmm. low floor and a very high ceiling and I, I just sort of see that same kind of team where if it, if they get it right, it, it's going to look like that, where they could lose some nights to terrible teams and they they might beat the number, a top 10 Ken Palm team in the country. Yeah. So that's sort of where I see them. And if they can peak at the right time towards the end of the year, they have a shot to outperform Tennessee when it comes to conference and uh, March Madness tournament. 2014 UConn has proven to all of us that you are never out of winning the championship. Yes, they are very, very true. The, they are the, uh, the outlier forever and always. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead. We are an hour in at this point. Um, and so it is time to get our uh, future vision glasses on and take a look at who we think uh, will be as we look forward through this next week um, and, and our feast week leftovers, who's, who's going to be the team that you're watching for. Um, so I'm going to let you go with sort of a team, a team perspective, and I'm going to try to pick who I think will be the player of the week for the next week. Okay. So I think the team that's going to be getting a lot of attention this week is going to be Houston. Um, I'm focusing on the Maui Invitational. The Maui Invitational usually gets a lot of uh, pub. I think Houston's probably going to win it. I'm going to be rooting for my Oregon Ducks to kind of bounce back, um, Ooh, maybe give them yes. a run for their money, not lose by 40, possibly, if they can make that happen. Um, watch out for Notre Dame. Notre Dame, um, really good offense, pretty terrible defense. So uh, they could... They could mix it up in there a little bit, but I think Houston. I think Marcus Sasser and I think Houston is. Are they, I think they're going to win that tournament. I think they're going to get some national buzz uh, from it, which a team like Houston very rarely gets, and they desperately need. If um, and then they had like, having that, uh, you know, continuing off that Final Four run. Uh, Houston is the team I'm looking out for this week. Okay, all right. I I like that. I can I can definitely see. Uh, some of that action happening. I think the Maui's, it's always fun. I think, where are they playing it this year? Are they even playing it in Maui? They're playing it in Vegas, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's definitely going to be a different vibe for sure. Yeah, and it's also, uh, it's it's sponsored by Camping World because when I think of Maui, I think of Camping World. What happened to EA Sports? Oh, wait, they don't have a college basketball game. Yeah, they suck. Yeah, because it used to always be the EA Sports Maui Invitational. Now it's Camping uh, World. Man, it's camping world. Um, all right. Well, so so my job here is to pick who I think will be the player of of the week. Um, and there are some definite some candidates on the teams that you mentioned. Uh, I think that Houston, um, they are generally speaking a very team oriented uh, program, but Marcus Sasser has been lights out this season 
just mm-hmm. shooting the ball very, very well, um, distributing uh, at a 26.4% clip, really, really good, 48% from three. So he's definitely a candidate. I'm going to go a little off the board, though, and I think the guy who's going to end up getting some publicity um, outside of generally what we look at it is going to be Seton Hall's Bryce Aiken. Mm-hmm. He's a six foot senior guard. He's he's uh, been playing um, about half the minutes of the game, so he hasn't even really been, um, you know, in the game a ton. But he is sort of their lead ball handler um, at the point guard spot. Um, but he shot the ball ridiculously well. Um, six of eleven from three or the, so far this season for fifty fifty five percent. And and the reason why I'm picking them is I think that they have a really good shot. Uh, they've already taken down Michigan. Why not go for the, the whole rivalry uh, and, and take yeah. down Ohio State too? Um, I think f- we, both, we both sort of believe that Ohio State is overrated as is. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, if he is able to go kind of one-on-one with uh, – EJ Liddell, uh, not in terms of a matchup because Liddell being sort of that six seven big post guy, I, he, he, I don't know where they find them, but it seems like every six foot seven wide body dude plays for Ohio State, whether it's yeah. Sullinger or whomever uh, in this iteration of Ohio State. Um, but I just think they can kind of go basket for basket. Liddell's sort of been. Um, according to Ken Palm, the best player in the country. But if if the if the Pirates are able to make some noise, um, you know, I think it would be really really interesting. Uh, I think the leading scorer uh, against Michigan uh, was um, if I'm trying to remember from that game. I think it was Jared Roden for Seton Hall, uh, who is a six six senior. They kind of do a team approach, but I, I really like the matchup with Bryce Aiken. I think he's, even if he doesn't start, he's usually a, a guy who gets some run um, and is able to uh, be sort of that bench, you know, microwave guy. Um, so that, that that's what I like to, to see sort of coming, mm-hmm. coming in to this next game. Yeah, I think they're going to have a harder time with Florida than they will with Ohio State, honestly. Whew. Oh, so. that's that's some harsh words coming. <laughs> uh, well, Florida's actually takes. Florida's actually looked like a good team this year. I can't say the same for Ohio State. So yeah, we yeah. should mention yeah. by the way that uh, Gonzaga and UCLA Tuesday night. Um, that'll be a good one. Probably not as good as the Final Four ma- matchup, but it'll be a good one. Um, yeah, I got to give a little love to Kansas, who was probably going to play Alabama in the finals of the ESPN events invitational, very creative name, by the way. Thanks ESPN. (laughs) Well, Um, Hey, there's no reason to mask it with anything else. Um, it is what it is. Uh, that could could be a good one. Yeah, it could be. Uh, The other player that I think could come out of this week, smelling like roses. If I hadn't pick a number two is, is, is my, my pick, one of my picks for the wooden award, buddy Beheim. uh, the battle for Atlantis, has some great teams in it. 
Loyola, Chicago, Michigan mm-hmm. State, Auburn, UConn, Syracuse, VCU, Arizona State, Baylor. It's a, a deep field. And if and if Buddy can go off in that tournament, um, it's kind of weird playing in the battle for Atlantis. Like the lighting is kind of like with this weird dark blue. Like I, I've heard that it's tough to play there. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks hard, but if he's able to find the basket and scored at a high rate, um, which you know he's kind of used to playing in a weird arena uh, coming from the Carrier Dome. Th- That's true. I, I think I think we've got a shot to have. Buddy Beheim as our player of the week as well. So those are my two players to watch. Okay. I got to know, Bryson, Gonzaga or UCLA? <sighs> Gonzaga or UCLA? I, I just, I really love this UCLA team, and I'm kind of down on, on Gonzaga. Um, I'm going to go with, with UCLA to, to win too. this one. Me too. And I don't even, I think that Chet Holmgren is going to be on the bench. I don't think he's going to be able to keep up. I, I think that the little. I think that the he should have a good game against a team like UCLA with a bunch of short guards. Well, they're not short, but they're guards out there. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're all about the same size, which I think is what mm-hmm. is going to make it difficult. They they are going to switch uh, pretty uh, regularly, um, and but they have enough height with Miles Johnson, uh, who is sort of that post guy role player for them. Uh, you know. Uh, that that would be that would kind of be where my money's at, um, but I don't know. We'll, we will see. I, I think it's going to be interesting. But again, if I'm putting money down, it's going to be on UCLA. Yeah. Also, I should probably apologize to the Big East. I think on our preseason, I t- said that they were all going to be terrible, besides uh, Villanova. <laughs> And I think that they've at least, even if they're all not great for the rest of the year, I think they've already proven that they're not terrible. So yeah, I'm yeah, sorry, Big you East. Know. You're better than I thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they're going to be okay. I think that they will get over their feelings. And hopefully, I hope, so. um, I, hopefully I, I hope that their conference play will be at least a little bit interesting. Um because I think Nova is deserving of a true challenger um, and to, to not make it a cakewalk. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seton Hall's proven that I think they can do it. Um, and just with Nova's depth issues, I think that's going to be, that's going to be an issue that's going to plague them all year. And it's going to make them vulnerable to teams that they should not be vulnerable to from a talent standpoint. So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting. Well, Luke, I appreciate you joining me and I'd like to thank the, the listeners for joining us. For another Absolutely. week of conversation, uh, we aim to make this a short one this week. But you know, when when the basketball is this good, you, you just got to keep talking about it. So uh, that's right. I think. Yep. Thanks again, and remember, you can never study the game enough.